Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the Guitar Nerds Home Recording Guide, a new four-part series all about how to record at home. The equipment you'll need to transform your gigging or practice rig into something that allows you to create great music at home, and some hints and tips on how to get started, how to improve, and if you're already well-versed in home recording, hopefully a few tidbits uh, to really hone your skill. Uh, I am your host, Joe Branton, joined this week by friend, producer, and owner of Trapdoor Studios in Liverpool, UK, Tom Peters. Hello, Tom, and welcome to the show. Hi, Joe. How are you doing? Ah, yes, I am all good. It is, uh, it's, it's lovely to finally have you uh, on a, uh, a podcast. It's something I've been threatening to do for years, so I'm glad... Yes, you have, finally, yeah. ...finally actually sorted it out. Um, now, before can we- I... Sorry, I'm probably no, an awful no. po- a podcast guest, but can I, I just cool. say that I absolutely adore your podcast voice, Joe. It, you've really, you've really got that down. Thank you. You sound so smooth and professional. Well done. Uh, I can tell you've been doing it for a while. I was having a conversation about this with another guest that I recorded last night, who was saying the same thing, and I, it's, it's the ability to um, automatically. Uh, to to self compress your own voice. That's uh, that's that's what it is. I think it's this. Uh, you speak from the back of your throat a little bit more, and it it gives it yeah. that radio twang. But yes, it, it's beautiful. It's like it's like syrup to my ears. Anyway, oh, continue. There's important you. things thank to, you, to deal with. Well, yes. Before before we get into things, let's uh, let's give our audience a bit of an overview on on yourself and all the wonderful things you've done. Because of course, you own Trapdoor Studios now. But you've worked in and been studio manager at, at both the the very renowned Motor Museum studio in Liverpool and uh, and the Grand Studio in uh, in Lancashire. Yes, that's correct. So I started my career in uh, 2011, got an assistant's kind of job, thanks to um, uh, some uh, probably let's be honest a a little a little helping hand from some nepotism uh, in uh, there's a, a this great big sort of studio complex venue place called the Grand which opened up in my hometown in Clitheroe uh, I was at a bit of a, a loose end at that point working in retail absolutely miserable to be honest and um, <laughs> my dad. Uh, was volunteering there and he sort of encouraged me to go and do a voluntary shift myself in the studio and I was a bit like uh, you know I think at that stage in my career I was very much uh, 
of the opinion that I'd never really be able to make it as a recording guy because, right. it's, you know, everybody says, oh, it's so cutthroat and and all this kind of stuff, which I've now learned to be absolute nonsense uh, as someone that's been doing it for over 10 years now. Um, I think people that say the music industry is incredibly cutthroat are basically very embittered. Uh, I mean, I'm sure that there is a cutthroat aspect to the music industry, but if there's one thing I've learned from operating within it is that you don't really get anywhere through being a... Uh, can I swear, Joe? Is, is uh, swearing? You, you, you can, yes, by all means. Uh, okay, cool. Uh, you, you don't really get anywhere through being a wanker. So um, anyway, that was a digression. Uh, so <laughs> I... <laughs> we're going to get a lot of that. I so I basically yeah had sort of initially discouraged myself from from pursuing recording as a as a career option because it was also around that really weird time where nobody really everyone was going oh you can't make money from music anymore which is arguably still true but it's you know it's about what your expectations are if you go into it thinking you want to be a multi-millionaire then yeah you're in trouble but you know if you do it right and you do it well you can you can make a decent career for yourself so my dad encouraged me to do this this voluntary shift at the studio in, in the Grand, and I, I just sort of never really looked back. I, I got on really well with it and got on with, with Simon, who was the, at that point the kind of in-house engineer there. And uh, he got on with me so well that he he, he basically pushed for me to get a, a full-time job at the studio, which um, I know is not a lot of people's experiences but i i think no. talking to a lot of people that have sort of gone into this as a career path there's always some kind of um esoteric route into it shall we say i don't know whether esoteric's the right word there but you know no a lot of people just sort of fall into it somehow and that's sort of similar to to what happened to me and and a few I sort of was just sort of assisting there, making brews, you know, packing were the mics down. At and this all that point, kind of stuff. at this point, were you like a, a um, were you well practiced in home recording? Were you always, were you already coming with a coming into this with a decent skill set? Yeah, so I'd say I sort of started picking up recording when I was about fifteen. Uh, I was uh, I was in a in a hilarious piano driven prog rock band uh, <laughs> when I was younger. Um, Wonderful. And me and my pals back then, we were like, well, let's let's get some recording gear and let's kind of learn learn to practice. And you know, I bought I bought like I just discovered the joys of uh, of mid two thousands Behringer, where you could get sort of you know six mics for fiver or something ridiculous like <laughs> yeah, that. So yeah, that's right. Ended up An buying eight a channel interface for about twenty quid. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I you know I ended up buying a load of this. Let's be honest, quite crappy gear. Um, but it was a really important process and sort of learn how to do things for myself, you know, not very well, but I did learn and I had a drive for it and an enthusiasm for it. Um, and I studied like music technology at A-level, did pretty well in that um, and kind of went on to uh, study music at university i studied popular music at liverpool uni i think if if i had any regrets about my education it would be that i didn't take a proper kind of production specific mm. course uh back then however it's not made a huge amount of difference because the 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 
most learning that I've I've been able to do was was obviously when I got a job in a studio and you start yeah. working there and obviously I'm one of the lucky ones that that actually got paid to do it whereas I think a lot of people are kind of expected to just turn up week in week out earn no money and try and learn as much as they can from it yeah, which is yeah. a, a a problem to be honest it's a problem in the recording industry in general uh it's a thing that I think has been, uh, let's say, a trope that's been ingrained in, in people's psyche when it comes to working in studio is is that you have to, um, you, you have to like do your time, yeah, earning yeah, nothing, and uh, you know, living off mum and dad or whatever. And uh, I think the industry should be taking a long hard look at itself in that regard because I don't think that's sustainable, not anymore. No, no. I, I, I completely, I completely agree. Every time we're in Brighton Electric, the big studio here, there's always a, um, there's always a new because we're always bringing our own producer there. But it, Brighton Electric comes with you have to have their studio hand, yeah. And it's always a, a new sort of volunteer who's there just trying to, you know, tr- just trying to get understand and get a grip of yeah, exactly. And yeah. you feel sorry because. Basically, they just end up making teas and sort of sitting on the side for. Yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. And and it's you know often. Um, I mean, when I when I first started working at the, the Grand in, in the studio, it wasn't. Um, yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't a particularly challenging job role at that point. You know, I, I didn't have a huge amount of responsibility. Um, you know, I was making brews. I was putting mics up, plugging things in, coiling cables, you know, that sort of thing. But slowly, slowly, I got to get more involved. But I think if I was doing that on a purely voluntary level, I probably wouldn't be where I am now because I wouldn't have been able to sustain myself. I remember kind of really early on, I was getting paid like not not enough to live comfortably, basically. And that's yeah. even with me living at home at, with, with my mum and wow. dad at that point. Um and and you know I'm still one of the lucky ones that even got paid at that stage in their career. So, um, but then there's the flip side, which is that well, there's not a huge amount of money in the recording industry anymore. So I I mean from where from my perspective with with Trapdoor, I I can't I can't afford to pay an assistant to come in and 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 help out. And to be honest, I I wouldn't be that comfortable having a volunteer kind of just cutting about all all the time either because it's yeah. I don't know it's just taking the piss a bit really so <laughs> yeah uh, I don't yeah. know what my point is I'm sorry so much digression no, no. ridiculous that's, that's absolutely fine so from the ground <laughs> you then moved to Motor Museum studio. well yeah so so there's uh, something I should say about the Motor Museum so um uh, good friend Al Groves runs the Motor Museum he's he's kind of the guy there um and my also awesome guy uh, Luik Gaillard who is a wonderful producer so Luik kind of is is like the in-house guy and and um Al Groves kind of runs the studio and and does um you know has his own bookings that he brings in whatever so my relationship with the motor museum was um i had a little space there that i used as my mix room for about a year maybe 18 months uh, when i first moved to moved to liverpool so um and then when when i could i'd use the main studio for sessions and stuff like that so uh and occasionally i go i do run sessions for for the for the studio as well it's a lovely studio i mean it's absolutely legendary and yeah really really is yeah and there's there's all 
like gold records all over the walls, like platinum records as like Arctic Monkeys first record and uh I think uh, Supersonic uh, is it Supersonic? I don't really know Oasis very well. A very <laughs> famous <laughs> Oasis song was recorded there. And obviously there's, oh, I say obviously, I don't know, I'm assuming people would know this, but they probably don't. Um, the, it was originally the studio uh, belonged to Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark. So there's all the OMD stuff in there. You know, there's like platinum records of like Enola Gay on the walls and stuff like that. Wow. And they're like, wow, that's such a big tune. So yeah, it's got loads of heritage and it's a beautiful, beautiful studio. So it's it's been a it's been a real pleasure to be able to work in there. Um but yeah, I just had a little mix room in there which after a little while started to become a little bit problematic for me. Not that um just in so much as I didn't have my own space to track out of. And I see. that in and of itself was making my sessions uh quite expensive so i'd have to uh dry hire other studios out um when people could afford it i'd use the motor museum but often i'd find myself going back to the grand even though i lived in liverpool i'd be driving sort of an hour and a half up the road to go and use the studio in clitheroe or over to cheshire there's a great studio called the edge which i've used quite a lot over there too um, it was a really interesting time in my life that because I was moving around a lot and I was working in loads of different studios. I went over to Ireland a couple of times. I worked in a in an all tape studio in Ireland on a session. Oh, wow! I, yeah, it was a nightmare, but amazing. <laughs> but it was it was just everything, every aspect of my recording flow was was fucked with in some yeah. way as a result of it. But I'm really glad I did it, and I really I really enjoyed the results. And it was a lovely little studio. It was just mm. yeah. Um, for me, a little bit of a challenge just getting used to how that tape thing works. In fact, I accidentally recorded over the delay trail of the guitar at one point, which really, really annoyed me. But I managed to fix it when I got it home to mix it. But yeah, um, done stuff in, there's a studio in Dublin called Hellfire Studios. I've done a session there um, for a brilliant band called God Alone. and yeah, so that was a really nice time because I was I was going around the place a lot, and that was a huge learning opportunity as well because you'll go into loads and loads and loads of different places, working in different places, different workflows, different gear, different microphones, different monitoring, different live rooms, like loads and loads and loads of different ways for you to kind of absorb new methods and new ways to do stuff, and that was a really cool thing to do. But after a while, it was like, oh, you know what? um spending two weeks away like every every other week or whatever to to run a session is just uh, just getting on top of me a little bit so yeah I bet. um so i guess that's when trapdoor studios came into existence. exactly so i mean you know you you know a little bit about this on a personal level joe because you mm. you knew you knew our boy dan um Danwell beasley used to be uh the wonderful uh wonderfully talented guitarist and cleft and my best mate um we sort of dreamed of having a studio together we we almost had one in uh manchester and so oh, sorry salford i apologize um <laughs> to anyone from salford who's listening or slash conversely manchester um <laughs> Uh, yeah, so we nearly, I think it was around 2014, I think we nearly, we nearly signed the lease for a place in, in Salford and uh, a combination of things, I think the landlord being 
seemingly a bit of a dick didn't really want to meet us and stuff like that and there were a few kind of terms in the in the contract which just seemed really fishy um so we on top of that as well i personally chickened out a little bit because i was a bit i was a bit like can we actually sustain this are we in the right place to do this and it, it was and I think I was probably at a point in my career then when I wasn't quite the finished article. You're never the finished right. article, I'd like to point out, but I think that there is a point where you can go, right, I've got enough sort of under my belt now uh, for me to, to feel confident that I can run run somewhere. But, you know, one thing kind of led to another and we, we ended up kind of not going for that in the end. Um, and then really not long after that, Dan got got really sick. Um, and he, he got a brain tumour into 2015. Uh, had surgery, recovered from it really well. In fact, like less than uh, less than like six months later, we were back in a van together touring Europe, which when I look back on that is incredible, like utterly insane uh, how quickly Dan had brain surgery and then got straight back into into being a rock guy again yeah, you know yeah, absolutely. that's that drive that we were talking about earlier that's like a that's a perfect example of it it's that no matter what life throws at you you can't not have that guitar on you and you can't not be fucking smashing the riffs out and that's what that's what embodied dan really yeah um and then we all sort of thought dan had recovered and that was like the end of of that particularly bleak chapter uh but unfortunately in 2017 not long after dan had actually helped us record the last uh alpha male tea party album uh down in the studio in oxfordshire dan came down and helped with that one um dan found out that that the tumor was back and after a uh i don't want to say battle i hate that terminology in in, in conversations about cancer but he lost he passed away in in 2018 in October um and I sort of at that point was like well I feel like I want to do something to honor Dan as best as I possibly can and this feels like the right thing to do and that's kind of everything sort of culminated in this point where it was like right well if you're gonna do it now's the time so and that's where it, you know, trapdoor came a, from yeah and it, it ended up being, you know, such a, a fantastic and wonderful kind of legacy to um, and tribute to Dan as well, because of, of course the studios worked out incredibly well, and is a, you know, is is a is a lovely little thing for you to get to own and and be a part of. Yeah, I'm 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 super super happy with it. I'm super proud of of what I've what I've done here. Um, you know, it's not a it's not a motor museum it's not a, a massive like you know mega studio by any stretch of the imagination but it's got bags of character and it's a fun place to be in it feels nice it sounds great and you know it's all about i mean dan was always of the mind that you know you get the best out of what you've got and uh Definitely more so than me, to be honest. Dan used to take the piss out of me, something rotten when I buy a new piece of gear or whatever. He'd be like, what are you doing? Um, <laughs> but Dan's philosophy, and you could see that almost in his in his pedals and, and his guitar rig and all that kind of stuff. Like he never had anything super flashy. He always just had good, solid stuff 
that sounded great. This special home recording series of Guitar Nerds is sponsored by Neural DSP. And now Guitar Nerds listeners get 30% off all Neural DSP plugins with voucher code Guitar Nerds. Neural DSP create unique industry-leading guitar and bass plugins designed to make you sound exactly how you want without any sacrifice in tone or dynamics. Their range includes signature plugin rigs available from some of the best modern guitarists in the world, like Corey Wong, Tosin Abassi, Adam Nolly Get Good, and Pliny. Plugins like Corey Wong's Archetype give you everything from crystal clear cleans and edge of breakup blues brashness, whilst the 14 series brings out all the crushing modern metal distortion you could possibly need. The point is that there's an amp here for every type of player, and with a 14-day free trial of any of the plugins at neuraldsp.com, with no credit card required, you can try before you buy and then purchase with the confidence that you're buying the right rig for you. And don't forget, enter code GUITARNERDS at the checkout for 30% off all Neural DSP plugins. Follow links in the description of this podcast or visit neuraldsp.com for more info. He, yeah, I think that was his thing. That's exactly it. He he knew he knew every pedal, uh, you know, and his amplifier and guitars. He 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 knew them completely yeah. and how to use them. And that was, you know, that's the, the the big difference between him and sort of a you know a player like me is that <laughs> you know I I just want the I want all the gear all the time. And I yeah. always want new things. And the next thing I buy is always going to be that thing that's yeah, yeah, going yeah. to perfect everything. <laughs> and it never is. But, no, yeah. of course not. And it's a funny thing with Dan because, I mean, I think I lean more towards your sort of perspective in that I, generally speaking, I'm always lusting after something. But I feel like just sort of almost uh, in a uh, in an almost... Um, I was going to say omnotic, but I don't think that's a word. Uh, <laughs> Known what you meant if you'd said it. <laughs> um, osmotic. Uh, I've said it completely wrong. Uh, you know, like osmosis when water travels across a partially permeable right. membrane I from see. a high concentration to a low concentration. Yeah. Uh, there's a whole other story about I had an argument with a guy about osmosis once. Uh, it doesn't matter. Um, I think in, in almost a similar... Uh, perspective or similar way Dan's kind of attitude towards that has sort of crept into me a little Mm -hmm. bit so you know I'm always keen to to I'm always looking for a bargain rather than lusting after that really specific piece of equipment yeah um and it's always about well what 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 can I buy or what do I need that's going to make my job better and and quicker it's not necessarily about oh yeah i really want to have this thing or whatever uh, or that's at least how i convince myself but the whole point of <laughs> trapdoor is that the way it's set up is is that it's like it's supposed to be like quite efficient in that it's like i don't have loads and loads of gear that you go in and you look at it all and you go oh my god there's so many options here i'm really overwhelmed by it which i hate when i go to studios i don't like that sort of oh well maybe i should try the api pre for this particular microphone because for some reason i think that might be better or whatever i'd i'd much rather like that stuff to me gets in the way of creativity it's like I just want gear that I know if I plug anything into it, it's going to sound good. It might There might be variables, but generally speaking, you plug it in and it's like, yeah, that's cool. That's good. 
let's get on with it and let's go. Well, um, well let's uh, let's let's talk about um, let's talk about that in 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 a sense. Let's talk about kind of method and that tried and tested method. Sure. Because of course, you know, because I, you know this, I, I'm trying to give our listeners hints and tips on on home recording and that sort of thing. Um, as well as you know, as as we're all in this period of lockdown, everyone's started to record more at home. Everyone's trying to, no one's gigging, so everyone's trying to find their own new way of making of music. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And and I think last week, um, on last week's episode, I spoke a lot about soundproofing, and which you know is a, is a massively underestimated thing for yeah. home recording studios. Absolutely true. Um, but it would be great to talk about maybe the slightly more exciting side of things this week because <laughs> that was definitely a great background. The first episode I went off on one about plugins because I, you know, I, 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 as my discovery of plugins, you know, when I started getting into recording is the same as my lusting after gear so i just you know <laughs> bought <Pedals>. everything and <laughs> see i'm the total opposite with with that with plugins i don't like mm. having too many i like to have like a, a clutch of plugins that i can trust well, that this. i know um and again it's all about that efficiency and that speed yeah, yeah absolutely. so it's about uh, having your own toolbox of course uh, as it were, to, yeah uh, as, abso- a, as a producer to work from Absolutely. And you you do see it a lot. You see people, you know, I'm in a couple of kind of recording based groups and stuff like that. And, and you, you you know, like every, every kind of industry is subject to the same rules of capitalism as every other one. And it's that there needs to be a new thing that comes out all the time. There needs to be a new thing. And if there's a new thing, you've got to buy it. You've got to be on there looking at it and going, oh, yeah, this is exciting, this new thing that's come out, it's a game changer, it's this, that and the other. But you know what? That's absolute bullshit. Because so much of that stuff, it does a thing, and I'm sure it does it really, really well, but you still, there's still no, no, like, substitute for understanding how to use an EQ, a basic EQ plugin properly, and that sort of thing. So... I'm quite traditionalist in that way. I don't do I I don't use a lot of like modeling stuff. I don't use like samples. I don't use transient shapers because I don't even know what the fuck that means. Uh <laughs> there's just loads and loads of stuff like that. So for me, it's all about keeping things simple and pure and kind of easy to to understand because like I think I get really overfaced if I pull up a plugin or uh, have a piece of gear that I and I look at it and I go, "There's too many knobs on that. I don't, I, I can't, I don't want that level of flexibility. I want the piece of equipment or plugin or whatever. I want it to do what it does and do it really well. And right. that's basically." Or, and it's kind of, that's what I look for in guitar amps. It's what I look for in guitars. It's what I look for in microphones. Just everything is that I don't care if a piece of gear is a one-trick pony, as long as that one trick is great and it just does it. And that's what that's what I'm after quite a lot of the time. Uh, you know, obviously you want to be able to experiment and fiddle about with stuff, but the, the simpler a piece of gear is for me, the happier I am with it because I just get overfaced by by certain things. I'm not yeah, I'm not a fiddler, really. 
that that makes sense and you know just having uh kind of reducing the time it's going to take for you to do each bit i guess by having something that you know works so that you can get to the actual functional bit of the music creation or the capture of the music absolutely absolutely that makes sense Um, but recently (coughs) you 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 um you've been recording the new alpha male teapot record your own band and you've been tracking the guitars for that or recording the guitars for that Um, absolutely and i I guess you know you uh you have i i watched a video that you put up about a month ago where you were talking through your process of recording the guitars for alpha male teapot yes and you spoke about the um the the mics that you'd used to mic up a cab um yeah you'd you'd very much gone for an old faithful pairing yeah it's funny because i i remember i remember that little that little moment because i almost tagged it onto the end of that video and uh i was kind of as i said it i was like you know that that's kind of interesting and it's good to actually be able to explore that because um i think one of the things i always do when recording my own band is i kind of use it as an excuse to be a little bit more um uh, i guess a little bit more experimental with right. with what I want to do or at least that's the mindset I go in with and sometimes so one so th- this is actually quite an interesting way of looking at the learning process of recording because um I've definitely over the years so when I first started out I'd be a lot more up for that experimentation thing so I'd th- throw mics up everywhere throw mics around the place I'd have like four mics on a cab and a, and one like two foot away from the cab and then one like 10 foot away or whatever and when you're younger you experiment with that stuff and it's important because it's the same thing as as you know falling over and scraping your knee or whatever you make a mistake you learn from it and you move on but you always still go in thinking right well I want to try something different I want to try something new so I tried to do that again with with the guitars on on the Alpha Male Tea Party record so um traditionally on every single other recording that we've done i've biamped so i've had two guitar amps playing at once the only reason for that is because that's how i do it live and because i use like stereo reverbs and effects like that but one of the things i've actually learned a lot over the last say couple of years is that a really powerful mono signal or two really powerful mono signals creates just as nice a stereo effect as like a a kind of dedicated stereo sound especially when it comes to guitars so on this occasion i actually didn't buy amp in the end i i just kept it to to one amp um which you know is pretty normal (laughs) let's be fair um (laughs) it's you know you don't normally piss around like by amping and stuff like that but i i decided i'd bought a couple of new mics recently and i thought oh yeah i've got this new mic i'll try it out and see see what it's like on the cab and um yeah i tried i recorded two whole songs with it and then realized i was like this isn't this not it's not quite right this um it's not really working so i swapped it out and put my old mic that i always use in instead which was which a pairing as an, an sm7b so that's like the standard assure sm7b that's kind of my uh just that's where a lot of the detail and the sort of mid-range upper mid-range and, and top end articulation comes it's from a very good all-rounder the sm7b it is yeah well we we obviously we were talking about it just before we started doing the doing the podcast and and it's it's really 
Um, it's for me, it's an invaluable sort of Swiss Army knife kind of mic. It's not amazing for everything, but it is uh, really cool for loads and loads of things. So it's usually it's kind of my go-to top top snare mic. Um, use it on yeah guitar cabs. Uh, I've used it on percussion and things like that before. Um, but yeah, the top snare and guitar cabs is kind of the, the, the primary thing I use it for. And like shouty, screamy vocals, or just male male vocals, as long as I've got a decent amount of gain on tap on on the pre, because uh, that's the one thing about the SM7, which is a pain in the ass, is it's actually got quite a low output, which is why even though it does sound great for vocals, it has to be paired with a really high gain preamp in order to get the best out of it. A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. So that's one mic, and that never really changes. But what I actually what i i did do is i bought um so the mic that i bought in question that i decided to sack off was um it's an se ribbon mic and art se rt1 so i've had for years which i bought a uh, shout out to anderton's uh which i bought in like 2013 or something i bought a stereo pair of i say stereo not stereo but i bought a pair of uh se r1 ribbon mics uh and at that point some mad mad thing where se uh they were a discontinued mic at that point and se had found a shipping container of them that they didn't realize existed (laughs) or some utter mental situation like that um and uh they said to anderton's do you want to just flog these off exclusively at a really cheap price and that's what Anderson's did. So I happened to be in Guildford uh, on a family holiday. Not in Guildford. I visited Guildford. That's not really a family holiday destination, is it, Guildford? Um, <laughs> not really. And I uh, bought a pair and uh, I love them. I've used them. I take them to every traveling session I have. I use them for loads of things. I use them for rooms, on drums. Uh, But the other thing that I mostly use them for is the secondary mic on a guitar cab Um, because it just, uh, where you get all the kind of mid-range and the detail from the SM7, you get all this big, juicy kind of thump 
from the from the, the ribbon mic and it just pairs so nicely you get the tone there and you're like well that's that's the tone it's there it's great it's rounded it's like clear it's very articulate and detailed and it sounds more or less exactly like what's coming out of the amp which is really important to me um the reason i didn't like the other mic is that it almost uh it's the rt1 which is the same ribbon as the r1 but it's got a tube preamp stage in it which right. is super cool it's a really cool idea from mike uh, they're not made anymore um and it sounds really really lovely but the big problem with it is uh and this is a problem with a lot of ribbon mics is when they're close to a loud sound source you get a lot of proximity effect happening and that's kind of What's what the proximity you, effect? So proximity effect is where um, now you'll have to forgive me here because I can't remember the exact physics, but basically mm. what it actually means is that you get uh, a when uh, it usually happens with either cardioid pattern dynamic mics or ribbon mics. If they're dead close to a loud sound source, you get um, a buildup of sort of low end and lower mid frequencies occurring. Uh, which can muddy things up basically and that's what was happening with this rt1 is because it has that little bit more gain to it it was just too thumpy and too muddy and i was like well that's and as much as i wanted to use it because it was a new mic i was like well it's not working though is it and it actually took me a little while to to admit to myself that it wasn't working this episode of the Guitar Nerds podcast is sponsored by Focusrite and their Scarlet series of recording interfaces. Now, this podcast is all about what you need to make great recordings at home, and I genuinely can't recommend the Focusrite Scarlet range enough. Due to the popularity of the series, Focusrite are now on their third generation of the interface range. And with six variants of size and starting at under £100, we think they're the perfect solution for getting into home recording. In fact, the Scarlet series have been the interfaces used to record almost all Guitar Nerds podcasts over the last six years. One of the features that really defines the Focusrite Scarlet's as industry-leading is the intuitive quick start tool, which launches the moment you connect the interface, asks a few simple questions about the type of recording you're interested in, and then provides you with the walkthrough videos and links on how you can best get started along those lines. Focusrite's ultimate aim is to remove barriers to making music. They believe that technology shouldn't stand in the way of creativity, and the Scarlet series of interfaces are testament to that. Check them out at focusrite.com or follow links in the description of this podcast. Yeah, I guess that's the problem with kind of, especially with new equipment. Yeah. Because you need to, you need the shine to wear off a little bit before you're willing to admit that, you know, that's, maybe it wasn't the right decision. Exactly. And that's like, that's a really, really big problem with being obsessed with buying gear is sometimes <laughs> yeah. you feel um, a sort of odd <coughs> pardon me i swear i haven't got coronavirus i've just got a tickly cough um is uh, you almost feel like you're obliged to use that new piece of equipment that you've bought and you're obliged yeah. to love it and like it and sometimes i think your judgment can be a little bit clouded by that which is why i've got to a point now where i'm like all the stuff i've got works sounds good i trust it and that's hugely important so buggering about trying new things and whatever, it has its place, obviously has its place. And you, you have to keep experimenting because you have to keep learning. But there are certain things where you just go, well, that's the sound that I like. There's no point in me pissing around with it for the sake of it and putting in a different mic or putting in a different pre or putting it 
somewhere else just for the sake of it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think there's a lot to be said for that decision-making process, really. I think that that's actually really a hugely important aspect, especially on a big project like an album. Um, how, um, how, how do you go about making the decision of those two mics? I, I'm kind of thinking of a perspective from if... Uh, um, because obviously two microphones is is the ideal you know you you're you're never going to if you're recording a guitar amp you you want to use a couple of mics in order to create i guess the you know a full spectrum the full kind of you know you want one mic to do one thing and one mic to do the other yeah. capturing yeah. different elements of the hi-fi yes how how do you go about making the the decision of two mics like is there are there tried and tested combinations that everyone swears by? Or I'm just thinking for people going out thinking like, well, if I'm going to do this properly and buy a couple of mics, what, where do I start? What on earth do I get? Or is it is it something that's independent to each room and each amplifier? Um, I th- I think there is I think there is a especially with with close micing a guitar amp there there are tried and tested methods that that you you can't really argue with um and you you'll see it from you know producers who are way 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 higher up the the pecking order than me will use the same combinations pretty much all the time um a really really big one is an SM57 uh, Shure SM57 and a Sennheiser MD421. So I think Andrew Sheps uses that and loads of other people do. And uh, I don't know if I think I've pronounced his surname wrong there. Sorry, mate. Um, and and that's, it's it's similar kind of process. So my I personally favour a dynamic mic and a ribbon mic. Um, I right. think that the low mid range from the ribbon mic is a lot more satisfying to me, but it's the same process with that SM57 and the 421. The 57 gives you all of that upper mid-range detail in absolutely in spades. I find them the too... The standard sp- live mic of... of Indeed. You know. I find them a bit too scratchy and irritating, right. but I think that's because I favour single-coil kind of tones anyway, so that there's lots of that happening. Um, so generally I use quite... A, I use a kind of darker pairing on, on a cab. So, uh, yeah... SM7, which is dynamic. Obviously, it's related to the SM57, but it's just a little bit more tucked in in the in the upper mid range and the uh, and a bit fuller in in sound as well. Doesn't have as much of a roll off in in the bottom, which I think generally creates a truer sound of what's coming out. And just like don't get that the thing you get with an SM57. I don't like is that papery kind of. Um, it's not scratchy. How would you call it? I mean, I think some people generally call it fizzy. It doesn't sound fizzy to me. It's just kind of like crunchy kind of sound. Sometimes that's really cool, but a lot of the time I'm just I find that a bit irritating. So the SM7 just kind of cools it's a bit that a smoother. Down. It solution. is much smoother, and then the the R1 or the ribbon just gives you a little bit more beef underneath it for for chugging and stuff. The thing is though, the thing that's also worth pointing out is inevitably when you come to mix it, and this is this is a bit of a pitfall with recording guitars is is you can stand there in front of your amp or in front of your monitors and go, "Oh yeah, that sounds really really thick and really fat." But when it actually comes to mixing it, you're probably going to take a load of that out because once you get your bass and your drums in there and every anything else, you're like, "Well, that 200 hertz kind of like thump is actually pretty irritating. So it's all about getting that balance right and and sort of understanding, well, what's it doing to the mid-range? What's it doing 
to the top end having that pairing in there. And generally when I mix, I'll have the SM7 as like the lead mic and the and the river mic will just be kind of uh, a few dB lower in the mix right. than the SM7. Um, so you get a hint of that thickness in there, but it's it's containable and it's not overbearing. Um, proper gone off on one as usual. No, uh, that's, that's what this is about. Um, you know, sort of those 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 things that people might not necessarily think of. Yeah, there's a couple of other methods that people use. So one one of the I think ultimately one of the the big things that you have to be wary of when recording guitars, especially distorted or overdriven guitars, is uh, amp whistle, which is that sort of um, three to four or like probably around two to four k. It's quite a broad range depending on what kind of guitars you're using and what tones you've got. Right. But all amps will put out a kind of like shrillness that yeah. whatever mic pairing you put on there, it's always going to be there. But there'll be certain pairings that actually kind of will help just tuck that in a little bit. Um, and then obviously there's things you can do in post to kind of control it. But you want to try and get a pairing that's going to make that sound that comes out of the cab feel natural and not overstate those kind of noises which is what i always think an sm57 does so i can always hear the amp whistle more uh when i'm using a standard 57 um I see. uh oh god guitars recording them don't know <laughs> uh <laughs> but the other thing i always i often do and one thing that i really like about having trapdoor now is um I like to hot swap amps quite a lot. When I say hot swap, I obviously turn them off. But, you know, I like to kind of bounce between amps for different parts and stuff like that. So one thing that I normally do is I'll set up one cab for a session, mic that up, make sure I'm happy with that, and then I'll um, and then I'll uh, I'll have all the heads in the control room with me. Um, I don't do... So once I've got the pairing, the mic pairing set up where I want them to be, which is usually about... Uh, a couple of inches off the front grill. I don't like it when it's like really, really into the grill because right. um, I think you lose a little bit of body from it when you do that. It's very focused, uh, which is why I think a lot of metal guys really like that because you get all that kind of like chug, chug, chug kind of like upper mid-range stuff. But yeah, uh, I like a all the broader... detail, I guess. Yeah, exactly. But I, I prefer to have things uh, more a more accurate representation of what's actually coming out of the, the, the cab itself. Um, yeah. So once those mics are set up, I usually use the guitar amps themselves. I do all my EQing on the amp uh, itself rather than doing it in post or doing it on, um, you know, on a plug-in or whatever, uh, yeah. which is why I like having amps that have got like a really nice broad EQ range on them because you can you can really have some fun with that stuff. Um, well, it's certainly, uh, you know... <laughs> as a as a guitar player like your your tone is Im, Im, immaculate it's it's a very uh it's very specific to you you have a a very certain tone like you can, you know tom peter's guitar tone and listener you know if you if you haven't heard alpha male teapie thoroughly recommend going and checking them out but you'll know exactly what i mean um there's there is it's it's very very detailed. I remember when I found out that you were a producer, I was like, oh, of course, that makes sense. <laughs> there's uh, it's it's not very general. It doesn't sound a lot like anyone else's, and it's there's a lot of hi-fi to your tone. Like it's it's very obvious that you buy amp because you're I I assume live you're using uh, one amplifier for your for a lot of your low end and one for a lot of your 
high end or that's correct something yeah like. yeah so my my kind of live pairing is like uh both both kind of like british voice damps so i use a vi- i've got a victory sheriff 44 um which is an el34 powered head of about 45 watts i think that kicks out and um that's paired with a soldano astroverb combo which is like uh, it's an EL84, 20-watt EL84, so you're talking like voxy kind of territory, really. So that amp has all of that high-mid uh, articulation in, in absolute bucket loads. So I it's love really that amplifier. It's, uh, it's wonderful. It's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. It, uh, it's, um, it, I bought it, uh, when did I buy it? 2014, I think. And... Um, it's just it's just a, a an absolutely beautiful beautiful amplifier. One thing I'm not hugely keen on with it is I prefer the sound of it when it's plugged into an external cab. Um, I think really? the in, the internal speakers are great live because again it's all about that. But in the studio it can be a little bit over layery, so I usually plug it into a cab. Um, but also because that that like. That helps with that efficiency thing I was talking about, where you of can course. just kind of hot swap amps and go right. Well, it's in a good cab and it sounds cool, whatever. Is um, there is there like a, a, a cab or a, a speaker cone pairing that you think lends itself especially well to to swapping amp heads as much as you do from sort of part to part? Is there uh, like something that functions well on most different types of amp heads? I mean. I would love to say, yes, I think about those things, but I <laughs> basically have two cabs that I use and they both have V30s in them, which is right. just like the the most standard thing going. Um, you know, I wouldn't mind at some point like trying out some greenbacks or some creambacks or even, you know, some ceramic speakers or whatever. But I think the thing with V30s is they always sound, they're always sort of dependable. They always sound good whatever more or less anyway um yeah i think there's some contention about whether the british made ones sound better than the chinese made ones or whatever but you know i i'm, I'm i don't care enough to um spend an afternoon trying to work that out as long as <laughs> i plug an amp in and it sounds good i'm generally cool with it um right so the cab I used on on the record that we've just finished recording that I'm mixing at the moment is one of the uh, the, the Black Star Artisan four by twelves, which has got um, which is four V30s in it, and Same. it's a really really cool sounding is the, cab. Is that one is that one that you borrowed from Mike Venner? Uh, yeah, well, actually, I've technically bought it from Mike Venner. Oh, um, I'm doing an exchange of services, shall we say? Uh, so that's now a permanent fixture in the studio, which is uh, which is oh, really wonderful. nice. Um, yeah, and it's I've wanted a four by twelve for ages because I've got my little Victory two twelve, which sounds great to be fair, and it's wicked for life because it's so easy to cart about and and stuff like that. And and like that's one thing I really love about my live rig is it's it's a full kind of biamp rig, but it's still pretty compact and it's it's not like it's not massive. And and like the Soldano, which is a mad little thing, is a, is a vertically oriented combo, which just looks amazing. It's like a little robot. Um, it's very unique. Yeah, you don't see them ever. I don't think I've nope. ever seen one other than yours. Nope, nope. And sadly, the shop that I bought it from has now—I um, don't think it's got. Uh, well, it's not there anymore. I think the guy that ran it, it was sounds great in Manchester, which is a brilliant shop. I loved it. And again, another another place of, of bittersweet memory because because me and Dan 
uh used to go there all the time and try out pedals and um and dan came with me when i bought that soldano actually and he was he was kind of like he was in his uh because you know it's a soldano it wasn't cheap and he's he was in his kind of a mixture of of being like oh do you really need to spend that much money but also being sort of egging me on as well see that's one of the that's one of the uh the daft things about dan would be if i told him i was thinking about buying something his gut reaction would be to say don't do that you don't need to do that that's absolutely ridiculous but if i actually just bought it he'd be like oh my god that's amazing so it was always like it was a bit of a double edged sword and i i i, I don't know i think probably just the fact that I was living at home at that point meant that I just had a bit more. Uh, and eventually, after once I'd got promoted at the studio, I actually had a bit more disposable income. So I went mad for buying pedals and, and amps and all sorts of stuff around that time. And I've actually more or less completely stopped buying pedals now, which I think I mentioned yes, to you, you a while ago. stayed the same for, for the longest time now. The only addition being the uh, collision... That's right, yeah, the black um, black hole symmetry, which yeah. is a brilliant pedal. It's all over the new record. Uh, thanks, guys. But yeah, I mean, I, I was lucky enough that the, the, those guys actually uh, they sent me that pedal. So I I've not yeah I've not spent money on a pedal for ages, absolutely mm. ages. I don't. And again, it it's all boils down to that thing that I was talking about earlier. It's like, well, I've got I've got my toolkit now, and I know what it does, and I know that I like the sounds of them, and I've got pretty much every sound that I want covered. And while it's fun to get new gear, I'm kind of always of the mindset where I'm like, well, is that money I, you know, I'm running a business, I've got to be sensible. And I'm like, is that money I need to spend? And if the answer is yes, then cool, then do it. You know, I spent a lot of money buying some new monitors uh, at the back end of last year. And to be honest, that, that that was a hugely important decision for me to make because I was struggling with my monitoring until that point. And now I'm really, really happy. What and monitors I think, did you purchase? I think I remember when you did this, but what I've, were they? I've uh, the Neumann KH310s, which are the uh, the three-way Neumann system. Um, and they're incredible. They're absolutely amazing monitors. And, um, you know, I would say if there's one, if there's one thing one piece of advice that I could say to anybody that wants to be a producer or a mix engineer, hands down, the most important thing is your monitoring. I think everything else under that is nice, but doesn't actually matter that much. Monitoring is like, for me at least, the single most important aspect. I think it goes monitoring, microphones, instruments, and then preamps are just like nice but right. most of them sound good now to be honest but and do you do you do you think in that case do you, when you put things in that order do you think that's the thing people need to invest in or yeah or do you think it's just um it's it's more about knowing the monitors that you have i think i think there's a combination going on um do not ever underestimate the importance of having a nice sounding room um because that's you know you can have like six grand's worth of monitors in a shit room it's not going to sound good no matter what you do with them yeah um but for me the the getting them those monitors was like the missing piece in me going from feeling a little bit shaky about whether my mixes were translating and feeling really right. confident that things were sounding good when i took them out of the room and it's not helped that over the last um, so again, another reason why I set up trapdoors because um, I was moving my mix room around a lot, 
So it's like every six to eight months or something, I'd be in a new room and I'd be like, I've got to learn my room now and I've got to learn how my existing monitors are going to work. And my old (coughs) monitor setup that I have, I've still got the tops, the Quested's great company, really lovely company to deal with, but they had a, uh, had a sub with them. And, uh, that can be great, can be really, really great. But again, it's one of those things that adds variables. And if you're adding variables to your setup, then that can create confusion. And sometimes, not always, but sometimes it can actually do more harm than good to have that in there. Whereas when I went for the Neumanns, I was like, well, I want a three-way system because I want to know that that low driver the crossover point is perfectly matched to the mid-range driver and the tweeter so that when I put it in a room, I know that those speakers are just going to do what they do and they do it well. Right. It all boils down to that thing where it's like, I don't, I don't want variables. I don't want shitloads of DSP control where I can tweak everything to the nth degree because my brain gets confused by that. Don't like it. <laughs> um I just want it to work. I want to buy a tool and have it work. And that's exactly what the Neumanns do. They just sound absolutely amazing, especially, you know, I've done a lot of treatment in the room that I'm in and uh, I feel really, really happy in here when I'm mixing now, Um, which is, it's great. And it's, you know, I'm in a fortunate position in, in, you know, that I can, I can do that. But I I think, you know, if, if you're a producer and you're, you know, you've got a bit of spare money, say, and, you know, you're still trying to mix on KRKs or something, you, and you're thinking about dropping four grand on a U47 or something mad like that, I think you're probably doing it wrong. That's my opinion anyway. I, th- no, I just I, I just think the monitors are just a huge, huge part of, of, of recording that, that is a little bit under underestimated or underappreciated, really. Yeah. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I've always been a big, I know this is, it, 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 it tends to sometimes controversial. I'm, I'm a big NS10 fan mm-hmm. uh, for, for, for an affordable monitor that I think sounds very good. Yeah. I know it's just a, an, I know it's a sort of a, a, a kind of a, an, an almost scoffed at uh, speaker because it, I think the idea with the NS10s is if you can make something sound good through them, then it's going to sound good through other things because yes. they're uh, they're very very transparent as it were yeah i mean that that's the point of the ns10 um i i do like them i don't get on that well with them because i i think that um i think if you're going to have ns10s i think you need something else to come to supplement them as well because right. what one I of see. the one of the things i feel with ns10s which i'm sure a lot of ns10 fans will probably argue is the point of them is that I still feel I'm I'm too I'm too neurotic to mix on a speaker that makes everything sound shit. So <laughs> yeah. I need my speakers to inspire me in a way, not in a overhyped kind of mm, tell you stuff that isn't there kind of way because it's and that's the the huge and this is why monitoring is also a really important but but be super, super personal, which is also why some uh, producers and whatever can mix incredible sounding records on like 90 quid shit boxes because 
that's that's what speaks to them and that's what kind of holds their attention for me i needed i needed the speakers to like just give me a little bit more than what i was getting and i think the ns10 thing is i think it's a a very uh it's a very sound theory and it definitely works i've still got my little quested which are a similar kind of thing because it's uh it's important Especially, oh, this is, I don't know, how nerdy do you want to get here? But the thing, the the difference that you get with a three-way system and a two-way system is in a two-way system, that low driver is handling so much more. Uh, so it's, it's you know, that'll usually kick in. I don't know where the crossover point is between a tweeter and a mid-range driver, but in a two-way system, that's handling everything from, say, like, I don't know, like probably even like 4K or something, no, lower than that. I don't know, downwards. And what you get in a two-way system that's really handy and and that a three-way system won't necessarily tell you is a two-way system will tell you when you've got too much low end in your mix much better than a three-way system will because, well, potentially, because the two-way system will go, oh, God, that's horrible, I don't like that. And you'll hear it because that (laughs) speaker, that single speaker will be trying really, really hard to replicate everything that you're throwing at it. And you'll get yeah. all sorts of like mushy stuff going on, which is why like an NS10 or a small two-way system is a really, really, which is why I still have a two-way system in here as well as, as the three-ways. Because the three-ways, you, because you've got a dedicated low-end driver, you put shitloads of low-end into your three-ways. What you're going to do is you're going to go, whoa, that sounds massive. And you've got, an, that's that ear training thing. You've got to understand that even though it sounds nice to you at that point, it probably means there's too much. So right. that's really important, and that's why having a, a mixture of two different, uh, which is why you'll often see that in studios, is is yeah. you know I don't use my little ones that often, but I will do I will check things out on a them just to see point, more than anything exactly, else. of course, yeah, and that's generally the role that an NS10 will take is is that they'll sit there as the kind of um, little gremlin that's going to tell you <laughs> and and sometimes that's really helpful but sometimes it can be really confusing and um that was always something i struggled with at the grand and clitheroe was was the the main monitors were massive uh you know arguably really beautiful pmc things huge speakers i think they were a three or even a four way maybe three yeah three and uh and then the near fields were Dynaudio BM6 Mark IIs, which are really small, good sounding speakers, but the, the golf indifference between the two of them, it wasn't helpful. It was just confusing, really yeah. confusing, um, which is, you know, oh my God, I'm doing that thing. I'm just talking. I, I'm just, <laughs> That's what we're supposed to be talking well, about. Well, I guess so, but I don't know whether it's boring or interesting or not. But uh, yeah, I, I spent a lot of time. I think monitors is a thing I get really enthusiastic about. I think uh-huh. in the recording world, because I also, I love guitar amps. So if, if I lost after a piece of guitar-related gear, nine times out of ten, it's an amp. It's not really? a pedal or, or a, I love amps, man. I, I just, I think they make such a big difference to, to tone and, and capture and I guess the monitor is is the recording equivalent of an amplifier. So that's the thing that I'm always like, oh, yeah, that's nice, isn't it? Um, so, yeah. Uh, oh, there you go. That's, that, that's, I guess, the takeaway is uh, 
um, is investment in in monitors in home setups. This seems to be the consistent thing across all the episodes in this series that we're doing is that um, before everything else, the setup, as in the the room and yeah. the monitors, seem to be the um, uh, the oft underestimated thing especially when it's coming to to home recording so the thing yeah. maybe to invest in obviously if you're home recording you don't need to you know necessarily need to throw four or five grand at a, no. at a set of monitors but certainly just going for something that's above average is something that you will uh you know reap yeah the benefits yeah of absolutely i i completely agree um i mean you know i i think it's it's always really really important to um understand what whether if you're going to spend a ton of money it it has to be appropriate to where you're at and what level you're at and all that kind of stuff because you know it all goes hand in hand with your progression and your learning as an engineer as a producer whatever you're doing um you know there's no point in spending four grand on some monitors if you're just recording demos in garage band but if you're yeah. at the point where, say, you've been working on, you know, Pro Tools, Logic, whatever you use, and and you've 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 got a good few recordings under your belt now, um, it, it is worth going. Well, what what in my what in my setup is going to help? So, the other thing that that to realise between the difference between like sort of home recording and professional recording is that often the investments that are made in professional recording, they're all made with the idea in mind that they're going to help you get to the results quicker and more efficiently so that right. you can achieve more in 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 an amount of time. So basically, you don't want to be in a studio um, spending ages trying to work out whether something sounds good or not because of a piece of gear that's letting you down or whatever. What you want to be doing is you want to be being creative and you want to be having fun with uh, the tools that you've got, especially I'm um, speaking particularly on a, on a session here. And then when you take that to mix, you want to know that what you're hearing is is right and is accurate and then you can make decisions quickly because the quicker you make the decision, the quicker you get to the results and the happier you're going to be with your end result as well. Because if you spend weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks mixing something, you're probably going to hate it because what's <laughs> going to happen is it's always about that balance between your own psychology and what you're actually enjoying about the process and what sounds good to you. Because often the more involved you get in something, the more intensely you'll listen to it. And that's when you start doing really weird stuff. Like, (laughs) you know, and, and if you've got monitors that tell you that straight away, then you almost bypass that entire process, which is really cool. Um, that's how I feel about it anyway. Obviously, any of this stuff is completely subjective and everybody's yeah. going to approach things completely differently. But I think the biggest the biggest thing for me is just managing your own psychology in these situations because you've got to... I've probably said the biggest thing... Uh, about <laughs> about everything times you've mentioned now, yeah, probably. But no, that's good because that's that's certainly not something that that you'd think of, but definitely not something to be underestimated. Oh, I think that's the thing that's it's it is under talked about really because you've got to also remember that whilst recording and production can be a science and it can be a sort of you know a technical job, 
it's also a very human job and it and it relies on you and your decision making and your ability to uh keep yourself grounded while a mix is particularly a mixing while something's absolutely kicking your kicking your head in yeah. and and it will happen you know you'll especially i mean when i was when i was working in loads of different studios i'd bounce from one studio to the next and i'd i'd come out of out of that room and i'd take it i'd take my raw files back to to my mix room the space that i knew uh, or theoretically knew and and i'd 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 have my head in my hands going this didn't sound anything like this in the studio so then suddenly you're like right well i've got loads and loads of work to do here um so i don't know what my point is necessarily but it's just <laughs> that you you've got to try and keep an anchor on all that kind of stuff and yeah. and yeah god what's happening to my brain you've asked <laughs> no, me that, to talk about makes... something i'm passionate about and and i'm just going around in circles <laughs> you, so. yeah you've run your... <laughs> no, that makes that makes perfect sense and i think you know great advice for you know for people who are who are starting out or thinking about getting into kind of recording during you know this turbulent time when yes, there are no gigs so there's nothing else to do no uh, true record. enough um, yeah. but that's 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 pretty much all the time we have on this week's episode yeah it's pretty long isn't it time recording guide. no that's good that's what it's supposed to be <laughs> so you know thanks very much for joining us this week tom uh, no it's been problem. really great to have you on the episode it's been really fun you know i don't actually get to talk about my production that often so um oh, it's, kind, it's kind of cool to be able to do it really um so yeah. thank you very much for for asking me and i hope hope that makes sense at least it's, you can garner something from it, it I, I i absolutely feel that it, it did make sense and it's uh, <laughs> it's a uh, the meandering journey through uh, uh through this sort of stuff is what makes the podcast so yeah thank you absolutely but awesome. don't forget, uh, you can you can check out Trapdoor Studios and Tom Peters Production on on Facebook and at TomPetersProduction.com, and you can follow Guitar Nerds on all the major social platforms and join us on our Facebook group at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash guitar nerds forum and our patreon at patreon.com forward slash guitar nerds. And we'll be back next week with more of this guitar nerdery. Farewell. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.